0: I'm not sure if we're live, but it says that we're live. So I'm going to give it 10 seconds. Oh, we are live. I think we're live. Okay. If you can hear us on your side, please drop a comment in the chat. Uh, It does look like the uh, interface is telling me that we're live. And yeah, so drop some chats uh, in for us. Make sure that you can hear us okay. Make sure my volume is okay. And uh, while I say all this junk, I'm going to go ahead and say, oh, we lost Danny for a second. Let me bring him back. Hey, Danny, how are you? Okay. Looks like uh, people can hear us. Perfect. All right. Welcome to the uh, first um, version of this community forum live stream. Apologies for the uh, little delay that we had getting started at the beginning. We were having some technical difficulties because it's the first time we've done this, but we're here now. So thank you all for your patience. And uh, today I'm joined by uh, the Tesla community, as well as a very special guest from Good Soil. Uh, Matt, do you want to introduce yourself real quick to the community? And then we'll go around the horn uh, and let uh Danny and Hans introduce themselves
1: yeah thanks Farzad uh, excited to be part of this new new thing you're launching here um yeah Matt Smith from Good Soil Investment Management basically just like a, a finance nerd on Twitter who's been digging into Tesla's financials for a number of years and, and now I get to do that professionally working with them at Pepper so thanks for having me on and, and looking forward to the conversation
0: Absolutely man, thank you for coming on. If you uh, guys haven't seen Matt's channel yet under uh, Good Soil, uh, make sure you check him out on YouTube. They do great, great work. Um, Next up, let's have uh, Hans, let's have you go next and then we'll have Danny go last.
2: Sure, my name is Hans Nelson. I have a mechanical engineering degree and then I have done a few different things over time. I worked in uh, utility cable manufacturing for a little while. then after that, I did a little bit of a master's degree, and I have also been a general manager for a cleaning company for a number of years. Um, been a Tesla investor since 2017. I've really followed the company probably since 2014, 2015, somewhere there, um, um, as well as all the other companies as well. Boring Company, Neuralink, and then of course SpaceX. Um, yeah, and that's uh, that's kind of my background. I, pretty deep on the engineering side of things so i really really enjoy all the sandy monroe stuff and then um joe justice is awesome farzad's awesome um a number of things there's probably not too many sources that i i haven't spent quite a bit of time researching
0: awesome thank you hans and then danny will go let you go last hi at least
3: Last but not least, no, I'm, I'm Danny. I'm, uh, uh, elevated automation. We do, uh, packaging and process equipment, uh, for the nutraceutical pharmaceutical industries. Um, I absolutely love automation, love, uh, just creating things that haven't been yet and, uh, install different lines for different, uh, facilities throughout the, the Western United States. And, uh, uh, I can definitely get on board with uh, most ideas of what Elon's got going on just because of how um, I definitely like his management style and he just kind of digs in and leads from the front. So I'm I'm definitely uh, glad to be here, glad to be part of uh, what Farzad's got going on here, and it's it's been fun thus far. Awesome,
0: man. Thank you. And just uh, for those that are watching live, so... Uh, Hans and Danny are both uh, supporters of the channel. Thank you guys very much for supporting. But essentially, the idea here is every, every Friday uh, at 11 AM, we'll have a community forum uh, with uh, Tesla, Tesla folks that have been following my channel. We get together and we discuss the topics that the community wants to talk about, uh, which uh, I'm very much looking forward to. I think uh, for today's discussion, uh, we'll kick off with uh, the latest news this morning. Uh, CPI and inflation not looking too good, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, from what we saw at least. Um, and so let's, let's use that as a topic to ke- to kick off. And then folks in the comments, if you do have a, a few cents to add in, or if you want to share your comments, make sure you g- go do that on the comments section. And, uh, we'll allow the conversation to be very free flowing here. So, um, any, anybody have any, any sort of, uh, maybe we'll have Matt go first here. Cause Matt obviously you, you're the one that's probably closest to this. And then we'll, we'll go from, from there. Um, any thoughts on the inflation data from today and, uh, you know, Overall thoughts and sort of maybe a little bit more detailed thoughts around how that might impact Tesla and others uh, from that point. But yeah, let's start. Yeah. So so, um, you know,
1: this has been, I think, the number one metric to look at uh, in in calendar 22, uh, because inflation is driving all the fears about how aggressive or not that the Fed will react. Uh, in, in terms of raising interest rates which then has all sorts of kind of detrimental effects on the economy and, and particularly particularly on equities. Um, so, you know, like we, as far as that, I think last time you were on the channel, we were talking about, you know, GDP and like, that's important and unemployment sure, unemployment sure. Those are important, but really right now for this economic moment, we're in inflation is the number one kind of boogeyman that we are really hoping doesn't continue to show its ugly face. Uh, so what we saw today, uh, and I, I wish I had the exact numbers up. Um, I don't know, as far as idea have the exact numbers, it looks like, uh, I
0: can definitely pull them up. I think 8.6 was the top line. Yeah, right? that's right. So it was
1: 8.6% year over year, which was a lot higher. It was actually one percent higher than than was expected, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, like, still obviously way, way, way too hot, uh, and, and in fact higher than um, expectations for for, for May. Um, so, you know, that only really spooked the markets. I mean, you saw that as soon as that number printed in, in pre market at eight thirty this morning, um, everything just, just tanked right away. And so that's that's clearly setting the tone for for today's price action. Um, but the, the interesting thing is core CPI, uh, which excludes energy and housing, uh, that was still a little bit higher than expected, but not nearly as much as, as the kind of overall CPI, which doesn't have those exclusions. And, and when I've been looking at this in, in the past, I mean, far in a way, the thing driving inflation more than anything is energy prices. So you've got oil over $100 a barrel, uh, which then impacts, you know, uh, transportation costs. Uh, natural gas is over, like, $9 in MMBTU, which is, like, crazy, because I, when I was in the energy space, it was always like, you know, gas is going to be $3 forever because we've got fracking. And that's not the case. And so that drives electricity prices. Like, that drives the clearing cost of, of um, electricity, which is used to make everything. Uh, so th- those are two sets of, um, I think, pervasive inflation that I probably don't see going away anytime soon. Um, But I do think it's important to keep in mind that these are lagging indicators. So these numbers were for May. Um, I think there are – I've talked about this on my channel a couple times. There are some sources of deflationary pressure, I I think, building up. And Kathy Woods has talked about this as well. Um, I've disagreed with her on on some of this stuff, but she makes some really good points, I think, about just how much inventory is building up on corporate balance sheets. So like Target, for example, has just way too much inventory. A lot of other retailers just are really overstocked. So I think – my, my take anyways is that you're going to have kind of pockets of inflation energy sector is going to continue to be the 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 worst you know kind of contributing factor to inflation uh, but i think there may be other pockets of kind of deflationary pressure which may help to kind of um counteract especially core cpi so i would expect that kind of levels out and gets to more manageable levels later this year but uh really that's that's going to be driving the overall macro story later this year
0: from my mind okay um we uh, there's some background noise coming in is someone uh have some uh stuff going on there in the background potentially it's like a uh, blower my- or something okay oh that's better yeah. okay perfect um awesome so yeah I, I i posted the uh gary black somebody mentioned in the comments thank you uh that gary black had some numbers so while you were talking matt i sort of uh i brought that up as well um Hans or Danny, any any sort of thoughts around what Matt just described uh, and how it, sort of it pertains to how you're looking at things?
2: Yeah, I've definitely been paying attention to what Kathy's been saying about inventories building up. The really interesting thing that I noticed this time um, was a lot of the things that where she expected that inventory build up to drive deflation. Um, in this last report, we saw numbers actually increase. So things like apparel were up. month over month and so we're not seeing that in the data yet Um, and then obviously food prices are going to be another thing that's going to be huge driving core Um, both transportation costs driving increases in food prices but then also all the supply chain disruption coming out of Ukraine and Russia not being able to supply either fertilizer or wheat Um, and so that's yeah that's a very inelastic demand market. And so small changes there have big repercussions. And I think we're definitely seeing that. Um, and I, I'm not sure where the end of the tunnel is on that.
0: Danny, any thoughts?
3: Uh, one thing that I've, I've noticed, um, obviously that this has nothing to do with um, Tesla, but uh, I have seen in the past um, a, a lot of our work has to do with stainless steel and I'm sure some of that has to do with all the bat battery manufacturing and, uh, uh, using the chromium and, and whatnot, um, and nickel. But, uh, just in the past year, all of our stainless steel fittings and everything is more than doubled, um, since, since last year. So it's, it's definitely, I'm sure there's m- multiple causes to that, um, besides just inflation. But I know, um, just last, uh, uh the beginning of this June we've we've had another increase of all of our sanitary fittings and everything but uh uh so we're we're definitely seeing um just some of those those items go up
0: yeah i think i think what's interesting to me is that there is this um i know the inventory piece has been brought up as a as a big deflationary sort of um um variable that's going to kick in at some point but i'm curious like how does that tie into the fact that we flooded the the uh, economy with a bunch of uh, money, essentially, right? So, like, is there like do we actually think that's going to happen over time? And maybe Matt, this is probably may, maybe more geared to you, but um, like, how how does the mechanism work of you know we, you have a lot of inventory, but you still theoretically have a bunch of cash that's been flooded in the system since the COVID days? And I know they're going through through QT, which theoretically should remove some cash out from from the economy, theoretically, but um, like how is there a way to think about that a little bit better? Do you have any thoughts around that? Because that's, yeah, that's sort so, of where I'm struggling. Yeah,
1: it, it does. I mean, on, on the surface, you think, OK, there, there's been all this money printing. So of course, you're going to have runaway inflation. And you know, that certainly does um, create some pressure. But the other really important piece to, to keep in mind is what's called the velocity of money. So how quickly are those those dollars kind of churning through the economy? Um, and, and what you saw, and um, in, in, I wish we had a, a chart we could, we could pull up here, but um, in the last couple of years, the velocity of money has really um, drastically decreased. Um, so, um, you know, if all of a sudden velocity of money were to to start, you know, increasing back to kind of historic levels while you have this like hugely inflated um Pool of money, then yeah, I think that would further exacerbate um, you know the the inflationary pressures that we're seeing. Um, but I, I think what what instead has happened is that a lot of these, yeah. So so this is the velocity of money M two supply. So you can see like when the when the printer really, I mean, the it's really been going on since you know 08. You can see just how how um, significantly that's declined, and then especially in 2020. I mean, look at that; it's just like a straight line down. Uh, So money printer, you know, goes burn. There's like that whole whole meme of, of course, that that was happening. (laughs) Um, But a lot of that was just kind of sitting in in assets, uh, financial assets of of one type or another, uh, or frankly, on on bank balance sheets, um, just in in cash. And so if it's just sitting in in assets and it's not instead kind of cycling through um, and increasing, you know, the the purchases of, of like hard goods in the economy. Uh, then that's kind of a, a source of deflationary pressure. So you really, you'd need, you know, an increase in, in that M2 money supply uh, or velocity of M2 money supply to uh, really kick in to, to be uh, a much worse situation. Um, but keep in mind, we've got this quantitative tightening starting now, so that the money s- printer is starting to kind of go in reverse for a little bit. Uh, so even if we do see velocity of money, you know, start to tick up, you um, the the QT should kind of alleviate some of that over time. Although of course QT is going to create uh you know price pressure on on um, on assets, financial assets as well. So um, yeah, it's a weird tightrope walk that that's going on right now, and there's there's no great <laughs> courses unfortunately.
2: Matt, do you know if there is a tight correlation between uh, the savings rate and velocity, or are those loosely correlated?
0: And if you don't mind matt before you answer that question could you like uh describe what velocity of money actually is just for the audience in case someone's yeah familiar. so I'm,
1: I'm not an economist
0: an, an economist
1: so my, my definition might be slightly off here but it, it's essentially um you know for every dollar that's outstanding you know that that the, the the fed has printed how quickly is that circulating through the economy so like um is it is it going like right from like my bank account to the grocer and then from the grocer to the, you know, to the farmer and then from the farmer to the fertilizer supplier, like how quickly is that chain of events happening or is it just sticking in my bank account and not moving? So it's, it's essentially how quickly is that money moving through? And so, you know, a, a, a lower velocity is essentially, you know, there's, there, there's like a tube of, of money in the economy that's kind of blowing. It's like, how fast is that, is that, you know, pipeline of, of dollars, um, going and so what you've seen is that sure like the the tube itself got bigger because you've got you know more money supply um but the flow of dollars the you know the rate at which they're going through the economy has has really slowed down quite a bit um so so that's you know maybe a a non-economist way of (laughs) of describing what what velocity of money is and i'm sorry what was the other question
0: go ahead hans
2: yeah just what the relationship between like consumer savings rate and then velocity of money i would assume they're correlated but then there's a lot of other variables that would affect that besides just consumers with all the banks and other other places where money goes
1: yeah i'm not sure that they they're too tightly correlated to be honest and again you know i'm i'm kind of like an a economist as a hobbyist more than more than anything you know i took a lot of classes in school and everything like that but um uh definitely not my formal training um But that said like i know the the consumer saving rate was super high back in 2020 maybe it was even 2021 i think it peaked like over 34 percent um and and so i think what that had a lot to do with like you know kind of the the stimmy checks that everyone was getting and and you know the uh frankly the financial assets just just being so you know so much higher everyone handling of wealth and so they were not spending as much um you know that they had been before. And so that that really kicked the savings rate higher. But then I think what, what you've seen, especially in the last two months in particular, is the savings rate has absolutely plummeted. And, and yes, similar to that is the, um, the consumer discretionary debt. So primarily credit card debt. Um, that was very low, um, you know, uh, six months a year ago. Um, and now that that is like, I think it was the highest ever month over month increase uh, in April. Um, um just a huge spike in, in consumer debt so you know consumers are kind of seeing their their paper wealth you know get eviscerated um, and so they're they're kind of relying on, uh, on on debt on you know credit cards and other forms of uh, financial debt to fund their lifestyle so you know that was it was like the opposite problem a year ago where like people had more money than they've ever had before. And so they were feeling rich and so they were saving it and putting it into these assets. And then, Oh, all those assets really like declined in value by 70%. So, Oh shoot, now I need to get some debt to just continue to fund my lifestyle. Um, so my sense is Hans, there, there's, there's probably more um, at play uh, it, between uh, the savings rate. The savings rates are a very complicated series of, you know, uh, whereas velocity of money, you could kind of see there's like a very, steady downward trend in velocity of money over the next 10 years and i think the savings rate has kind of bumped up and down a a bit over that time so i suspect the correlation isn't super strong
0: awesome thank you i'm trying to pull up that graph that you were talking about uh matt where there was a i I think unusual whales was the one that shared it if i remember correctly i'm trying to go find it but uh, i think i think it was at like all-time highs. I mean I think since 1980 maybe. I don't know if it goes back any before any time before. And I think my question to that was well, I think maybe you share that Matt. I can't remember who shared this. I'm trying to find it on Twitter. Okay, the consumer savings uh, rate. Is the uh, the credit called? card the credit card debt. Oh, like the an all-time the high. Yeah. yeah. It was the anyway. it wasn't
1: I think it was the the outstanding notional value that was at the all, all-time high it was okay. the month over month increase. So what you had was, like, consumers going from, like, doing really well to, oh, shoot, like, savings rate plummets, and I need to take out a loan to, you know, buy my groceries this month. Um, yeah. So, you, which kind of makes sense, you know, when you got drastically falling asset prices, you've got um, inflation, like, really ripping a hole in consumers' wallets. It's um, so, so, real wages, you know, which is, like, nominal, nominal wages are, say, increasing 3%. Um, uh, but inflation's eight percent. So real wages are down, you know, about five percent year over year. So uh yeah, the consumers are just in a, a tough spot right now. Which is maybe a good segue to the uh University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index, which also came out this morning and which was like a huge miss. It was a 50, I think they were expecting a 59 uh um, yeah. worst level since 08, or
0: maybe it was even before then, I think. Um so yeah, so people are
1: I think Terrified, it was ever
0: right <laughs> in, in Michigan I think it was like ever. Uh if I remember correctly. I know I here it is. I I'll post it right on my screen as we talk. So this is um, uh worst Michigan consumer confidence sentiment ever recorded. And we can see it right here it's down to 50.2 at least going back to before 19 what is it? 1975, like 1970. So this is specifically for Michigan though.
1: No, that that's which, actually so. It's a it's a University of Michigan survey, which is oh. which is why they call it that. But it's it's not like um you know only Michigan consumers are struggling now. I think it's I don't Got know if it's it. nation. I assume it's nationwide. I don't I don't think it's worldwide. But uh, yeah, it's just a University of Michigan survey.
0: So that actually that that's even uh, more damning because it's not specific, it's not regional. It's actually it's yeah. going to be it impacts it. Uh, it's a broad impact. Yikes. Okay. Yeah. That's and it, was, it was a it was a drastic drop from. Um, about a year ago down to now so it was at 85 and it's now down to 50 which is a pretty pretty significant drop um, there was yeah, a question I mean, in I mean, the comments we'll like 08 and 9 sorry. sorry sorry to interrupt
1: far is no, like 08 to 09 like i remember like my parents were were both working in finance at the time and they were basically just saying like oh it was almost the end of capitalism like it was like like they were like terrified during that time frame um, and this is a much more steep drop to a much lower low Uh, so it's a it's it's a really big deal in my mind that this is how consumers are actually feeling right now
0: it is it is pretty concerning um i did want to answer the question in the comments real quick here from buck and i think i think this graph here that we just shared i think this also where where my head goes immediately is like how does this impact impact tesla (laughs) as an example like is this going to actually impact companies like tesla but um we'll uh, answer buck's question first uh, question is, how much uh, do you think high wages cause businesses to raise prices on goods and cause inflation effects? Anybody want to uh, tackle that? Any thoughts? So,
1: Danny's um, in business, right?
3: Yeah, I, I would say. I mean, for for me, um, I mean, we try to we try to absorb as much of that as we can. But I, I know the The normal narrative of most most businesses is if if our wages go up, if the cost of what it takes us to uh, complete these jobs or or whatnot goes up, then that's usually passed on to the customer. Um, I've heard that time and time again. Um, maybe that's just a narrative that uh, a bunch of the news outlets will uh, will say, but uh, definitely um, we we haven't raised our labor rates yet of what we charge our customers for installation of, of different systems. But, uh, it's definitely getting more and more appealing to do that.
2: Okay. Yeah. I would say from my experience, you know, the, you have to increase productivity. Um, and so, you know, it depends on different businesses, if they can implement technology solutions that really help them get more output with the same labor cost, or, you know, that the increase in productivity outpaces their increase in labor costs then they can continue to maintain pricing. Um, But if they can't do that, which I think a lot of companies are in that situation, then yeah, they do have to raise prices as they increase wages. And then, um, but I think as, you know, as inflation continues to rage, a lot more people are going to have to work. There's a lot of people that are just not participating in the economy. And so there should be kind of a counter pressure coming back on wages, even though inflation is rising, that um, it's going to draw more people back into the labor pool. So hopefully, labor pricing won't just continue to, to get out of control. I saw this specifically in the cleaning uh, industry. It was almost impossible to get people to work for even you know, $14, $15 an hour there for a good little while. And, um, I think right now a lot more people need to work and especially those kind of extra job type things. Um, people are not as picky about needing to make 20 bucks an hour to do that kind of stuff.
3: And, and maybe that's why we don't, we're not feeling it as much as because we are, I mean, our sanitary welders are easily making 30 to 35. Some of them are making 40, $40 an hour, the guys that have been there and actually running the entire project and everything. So they, um, they're they already making pretty good money for what, what work they're doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, fr- from my experience, th- that's, I mean, I think like it was mentioned, short of becoming super, a, a big strict strickler uh, on really squeezing out as much efficiency as humanly possible to prevent passing on the cost to your customer because of those high wages, uh, you will pass them on. And most, most businesses uh, will rather pass it on than actually figure out how to squeeze more margin out of that cost increase because it's easier (laughs) and it's a lot harder to be efficient than it is to just pass the price on to the customer. And so I think, I think maybe if, if we can uh, sort of use this as a segue into Tesla. So within everything that we've kind of talked about here, like I, I can't uh, help but feel uh, concerned about the economy as a whole. And I think today's numbers. What I'd like to do maybe as an exercise here is to try to figure out okay how does this how does this really impact say a Tesla, which is you know something that we're all four of us are very familiar with. Are we concerned about today's news um, and how it impacts Tesla the business, Tesla the stock? Um, what's, what's the overall thoughts,
2: uh, who wants to take a, st-
0: a stab at it first?
2: Yeah, I'll, I don't mind going. So I've, I really appreciated your, uh, conversation with Drew Dixon the other day, Matt, and, um, you know, he raised some really great points. And I think really identifying like, what are the metrics that we as Tesla investors really need to be looking at and keeping a close eye on to make sure that our, our bull thesis is not in jeopardy. Um, and I think these things really tie together. Is the, we're seeing just how much the macro environment really dictates a lot of the multiples that are assigned and just the overall value that the company will receive in the marketplace over time. Um, so, you know, I think that the things that really do concern me in the current environment are, you know, are we gonna to continue to see just the macro environment deteriorate? And in what ways will they deteriorate? Like, is it gonna be a continuation of what we've seen over the past 60, 70 years since World War II, where we have increasing globalization and this increasing globalization allows us to continue to have increases in efficiency in supply chains and just driving down costs across the board. Or, um, you know, I don't know if any of y'all follow Peter Zihon or any of the kind of global geopolitical strategists who have kind of a dismal outlook on how globalization is going to continue in the future. And I think that does pose a lot of risk to Tesla specifically, I mean, really to the entire market, and Tesla would not be excluded from that. And um, so, yeah, I guess that's one of the one of the big risks. Uh, But I think, you know, I think it would really take a lot of things. Tesla is so resilient. They could overcome any number of challenges um, if it was just one challenge. But I think the big risk is, hey, do we have a confluence of events that really pose a a significant risk where we've got deglobalization happening Um, That's just continuing to disrupt supply chains, continuing to make supply shortages difficult to work through at the same time that we also have potentially just stalled progress on FSD to where we keep seeing they're making improvements, but we're not able to get to a level four system that is really wide release available that humans don't have to monitor pretty Closely in order for it to operate, Um, that coupled with you know no progress in Optimus. Like if you see if you see progress in FSD that's continuing. If you see progress in Optimus that's continuing, and those things provide you with the ability to put a lot of hope in the future. And I think we've got really good outlook on the stock price. Um, But if you if you're not seeing those at the same time that you're seeing supply shortages that put a lot of pressure or, you know, just, yeah, supply chain issues that put pressure on margins and global sales growth. Um, I think that's kind of the, the only scenario where we really, really need to be afraid that the narrative is breaking as far as I can tell. What do y'all think? I don't know if I can
3: kind of do the rebuttal to progress and, uh, Optimus and FSD. I mean, uh, Uh, From what I've seen, I I don't have a a Tesla up to this point, but from what I've seen, the um, FSD seems like every day I see somebody else saying there's less and less. I think even Matt has said this uh, on Twitter before that there's less and less reactions that he's got to do just to get from point A to point B. Um, A lot of guys are saying that uh, there's a lot of drives where it's a zero. And from an optimist perspective, I'm super bullish on that just from what I know what uh, we currently hook up uh, like Yamaha robots and everything to take bottles off lines. It's got a camera on it. So we, we take a shot of the uh, bottle coming down the line and it goes over, grabs it, moves it over and, and automatically packs it. And that's a dumb robot. Um, and it doesn't matter whether the cheat the speed of the conveyor or any of that is, is changing. Um, uh, I know we've all said that Elon Musk's uh definitely working 3D chess at any given moment, and yeah, I'm I, I'm I have no doubt that we'll see a prototype. Um, what is it, the end of, of September? I believe it is,
2: yeah. Yeah, and to be clear, I'm not saying I expect these things to happen, but I think these would be the things that I would be afraid like I would be watching and monitoring to see if these things happen, that would be that would be the time that I would be insignificant fear.
0: Yeah, the the way I think about it is like um I think if if the economy given today's data, if we don't if we don't figure out how to potentially uh, prevent this sort of, if this if the uh, consumer index is really at all-time lows below where we were at the financial crisis, if we really have inflation that doesn't seem to be slowing down and we have uh, recessionary pressures that are going to cause a lot of companies to go bankrupt or, or, or lay off workers, we get closer and closer to a world where um, consumers are going to be ridiculously price conscious, you know? And to me, the only company that has any potential, any potential solution to still be a viable transportation uh, um, company that is not going to be subject to extreme margin pressure and extreme demand problems is a company like Tesla because of FSD and the potential of having an autonomy network that's going to operate at a fraction of the cost than anybody else. You know, so if you can have and and, and we have to think about this within the context of like like regular people, like the everyday person. Right. Uh, Call it the 50 to 80 percent of, 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 say, this is American, the American consumer, Uh, even 85 percent. Who knows? 90 percent, 95 percent in the recessionary environment. Right. People are going to be penny pinching. They're going to be very careful about where they spend their money on. And say if a company like Tesla comes out with a robo taxi, say within the next two years, you know, where if this recession ends up being a pretty deep recession, Tesla's gonna have an advantage from the standpoint of they're gonna be able to offer a car that's theoretically gonna cost, I don't know, fifty cents to a dollar per mile to operate, or maybe even less, who knows? A lot less. And <laughs> less than twenty, 20 cents, right? Twenty five
3: yeah, twenty, twenty five yeah. cents.
0: Exactly. And then you put that within the context of high energy prices, the fact that a lot of people are not going to be able to afford a car, right, uh, so on and so forth. And then you're going to have the vast majority of the United States population uh, needing some sort of solution that's going to mirror that sort of uh, price advantage that uh, Tesla is going to have from that perspective. And like, if I think about it within that context, like, okay, if, that, if that's kind of where we're going and people are going to be super, super price conscious, and Tesla's able to capitalize on the FSD and robotaxi opportunity to me like unless a another company has something similar to that that they can offer i don't really know why anybody would want to own a car within that context right within the context of a recession and and a lot of economic hardship um, now the question becomes is that actually going to happen you know is mm-hmm. that actually going to be a thing that's going to that's going to sort of line up with the recession uh or the potential recession we're going to have but it almost seems like it almost seems like i don't know i don't know if the universe (laughs) figure this out but it almost seems like if it really does become a reality that tesla does achieve level four by the end of the year and robotaxi does start launching next year like elon talked about this could be in the middle of a very deep recession potentially okay um so which i think is yet another catalyst for tesla the company in the stock to have a have a have a big runway forward because not only do you have a technological advantage, now you have a price advantage. Now you have the majority of the population wanting to use your your services because literally the the alternative is way too expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about that from your perspective, but that like that's where my go brain goes to immediately in the within the context of a recession. Is if Tesla can figure out FSD, it's like it's such a game over moment. You know. So and what might would be you would assign figure.
2: that probability? at being like, in your mind, is that a 50% likelihood, 60% likelihood, 80? And then, yeah, like that's kind of where I'm thinking. I was like, okay, so yeah. what's the chance that's gonna happen? What's the chance that it's not gonna happen? And then what kind of things do I need to think about and just prepare myself in my mind for, in the event that it doesn't go that way?
0: That, that's a great question. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, today's numbers spooked me. They did, they spooked me. So for me, the, the recession chances go up for me, uh, like, like, a, like a deep recession go up mm-hmm. um, so it went from maybe like 25 percent to probably well over fifty percent in my head okay um, and I think and I think that going up, knowing the culture of at Tesla, that's going to cause Elon and team to go even harder to ensure that FSD gets released and RoboTaxi gets released, because it doesn't just become a safety concern, it becomes an economic concern because the vast majority of people would not be able to afford (laughs) to drive around in a car Mm -hmm. or to pay for gas. So I think it adds more fuel to the fire, and the culture at Tesla is very, very good at using existential crises (laughs) to drive missions forward. And I could so the, the the higher the chance of a bad recession, the higher the chance of robot taxi happening is how I think about it. Um, I don't know. So so if recessions at over fifty percent, robot taxi by next year is over fifty percent in my opinion. That's how I think about it. I don't know what what do you all think?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just say when I'm trying to do valuation, which I'm is, is a, a, something I really like to do, and so I like to come up with like a, a different scenarios um so somebody in the in the comments basically said like you know fsd and you know the bot in particular are really taboo subjects uh, for wall street analysts and, and and probably for institutional buyers as well and i think that's true i mean gary black who is like one of the best Tesla bulls out there like kind of like a, a wall street insider um but he's still yeah david borg in the, in the comments in that the, um gary has a fifteen hundred dollar price target even though he's pretty bearish on full self-driving, and he's like just won't even touch the bot. Um, and so I think it's important when we're thinking about, you know, Tesla as an investment opportunity to kind of, you know, segment the different parts of the business. So, you know, I try to value the business as it is today. Um, and when I think about full self-driving in that in that realm, I think, okay, well, what's the likelihood that you know take rate may increase and that more of the, the revenue will be recognizable going forward? And so, you know, what does that do to margins? Um, And so that's really the only variable I play with for for kind of like my base case assumptions. Um, But even doing that, you know, uh, Tesla's, I think what people, what Wall Street analysts in particular don't give Tesla enough credit for is just how how far their their manufacturing has come. So, you know, Q1, we were very close to all-time highs uh, on April 21st, right after Q1 numbers were reported because they absolutely blew it out of the water. So you know it was three dollars and twenty-two cents, I think, uh, in in uh, adjusted earnings per share, uh, and so if you you annualize that, um, and then you compare it to the, today's price at you know around are at seven hundred whatever we're at right now, they're trading pretty close to like a fifty PE on what they can do right now, um, which in, in Hans you brought up the Drew Dixon debate, mm-hmm. and, and Drew was saying that he thinks like a fifty PE is about right for Tesla, so I, I think the market and and. Uh, a lot of the, the skeptics out there are saying, OK, well, we've got a recession coming and, and we all know recessions are bad for really bad for automotive companies. So Tesla's mm-hmm. taken this huge hit, even though they're executing really well. So in, in terms of what am I looking at for, you know, like to try to poke holes and, and steel man my own bull argument, it's like, OK, well, what's what's happening with order rate? And is that backlog shrinking? And, and to be clear, I think I think the backlog is going to shrink. Like I I, I think you can't have a recession uh, this significant and consumers, you know, feeling the pinch, you know, this much without, you know, it, it impacting order rate to some degree. To be clear, we have not seen that really reflect yet in in the order book. I mean, the order book, the backlog is really increasing right now, which is a, a, a great sign. But I'm kind of waiting for that for that shoe to fall. Um, but it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if you know the the backlog went from I don't know six to nine months to three to six months it's probably a better thing for for consumers anyways and then if it if it's a really bad recession and the order rate really falls down um, to the fact where you know you you've got demand very close to the level of supply well then Tesla just needs to cut prices which frankly they can afford to do with thirty percent gross margins uh, and they're more efficient cars coming online now uh, or they're more efficient plants coming online now Um so when I'm looking at, you know, like Gary's base case, six to 12 month price target of, of $1,500, I, I think that's really reasonable. And then on top of that, you've got all the upside of, okay, well, what if like the analysts are totally shocked and and Tesla actually does achieve, you know, level four or, or it, it, maybe it doesn't even solve that, but uh, it's so clear from the hundreds of thousands of beta testers out there that Tesla is really close to, you know, getting the, the right approach solved, like if, if it's that situation like you don't necessarily need like one particular test to be solved or, or to like have a small Robo taxi pilot in Miami for the market to say oh shoot like Tesla's approach actually is mm-hmm. uh, credible and so then you you go from a, a point where okay maybe with the macro situation the way it is with multiples coming down even with Tesla executing at a really high level uh then maybe you know the 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 valuation gets compressed from what Gary's saying, but maybe it's still like a thousand just based on, on their kind of core operations. Mm-hmm. But then you've got all of a sudden you need to start giving them credit for solving autonomy, and, and that's worth at least a thousand, I think. And so, if, if the market by the end of the year thinks there's a 50% chance Tesla solves it, then it's like, okay, well, that's got to be at least 500, probably a lot more, I, I, I would think. So, oh, yeah. But again, what's the probability that those happen and by what timeline? Uh, so, that's where it's, a, it's just a really interesting mm-hmm. market right now.
2: Well, I think the one other piece just to drill down on is Gary's assumption, you know, his $1,500 price target does kind of bake in multiples at normal historical average levels. And, you know, I think that's a safe conservative estimate to make, but definitely not one that's guaranteed going into the recession that we're potentially going into. So that's kind of the one area where you might, you know, take that into account, and say, okay, in order to make up for that, you really do, you need autonomy to have significant traction. You need bought, you need some of these other intangible, you know, Musk option things to be assigned significant value in the market in order to make up for those. Um, you know, if you're, if you're making an investment decision based on the assumption that Tesla will increase in price from here to, you know, maybe in the next two years.
0: Yeah, Matt, yeah. what do you think about the it, comment that was posted here as well? Uh, feel free to respond to Hans, but also the comment mm-hmm. if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, so uh, somebody posted in the comment that they disagree a little bit because the the inflation crisis largely revolves around gasoline prices, and that's actually, I, I, I wanted to bring that up too, but I, I've rambled enough as, <laughs> as it is. But um, <laughs> gas is at like six dollars a gallon, I mean, depending on where if you're in California, it's like not um. That's huge deal. I was just talking to my neighbor uh, the other day and she's she drives like a, a Lexus with like premium gas that she has to put in it. And she's like freaking out. She's like, I wanted to go on a vacation and I can't now because like, I don't want to fill up my car. And she's like, I should have bought a Tesla a couple of years ago. And I was like, yeah, you know, the same Tesla that I bought in 2020, I think it was, maybe it was 2019. Um, like now because of Tesla's demand, it's like $20,000 more just for the Tesla. Now, some of that is is higher prices for components, but uh, more of that is just demand outstripping supply. Um, so like I, I think what we saw in the coronavirus you know crash in, in 2020 was that it was like an accelerator to disruptive tech. Now, that kind of went too far with like Peloton and some of those names getting way too like above their skis in, in terms of valuation. Um but I think the overall trend is, is going to continue. I mean, like, pretty much everybody thinks that, you know, EV adoption, except for to- Toyota, thinks that EV adoption is going to, you know, increase substantially in the next, you know, decade. And eventually, like, that's going to be the answer. Like, like Drew Who's Dixon Toyota? the Bear, <laughs> gosh, Drew Dixon the Bear, you know, even said as much. Uh, um, so if that's the case, it's like, well, te- Tesla's clearly the largest one. And, and if ga- if commodity prices, are, are, you know, oil's over $100 and gas is $6, that's just going to create even more incentive for people to start doing the math and say, oh, yeah, you know what, maybe the sticker price is higher on Tesla, but the total cost of ownership is actually really great, especially when you consider residual value, especially if ICE car residual value is going to decrease at a point when EV residual values are increasing. You start doing that math and all of a sudden paying an extra $20,000 for an EV is not as crazy as it seems. So I think more and more people are going to start wising up to
3: that and start doing the math. Just give me my Cybertruck, my Cybertruck, man. Just give me my Cybertruck. <laughs> That's all I can say. Uh, no, like I've, I've kind of mentioned this in the Discord or, uh, previously or whatnot, but like FSD with all my gear in the back, say this, go to the customer up in Idaho or whatever, and literally just hash out emails like when that is finally a reality, I mean that the amount of productivity I could get out of a, a truck that could just take me to the next location is incredible.
0: Danny, one of the one of the comments you made yesterday um, when we were talking in our Discord was uh, was kind of fascinating because you kind of mentioned that um, we were talking about like the topic of Tesla. And uh, just uh, for the audience, what what part of the U.S. are you? You're in Utah, right? Sort of the, yeah, the Utah area. Okay. Yep. Um, have you yeah, seen, we, know, like- we,
3: we know how to make kids here in Utah. So <laughs> we're doing our part, Elon. We're doing yeah. our part.
0: You and Matt both. <laughs> Matt's got like 17 kids or something, bro. <laughs> Good
3: job, Matt. Good job.
0: <laughs> how many do you have, Danny? Four.
1: Four, okay.
3: Yeah, all three years apart. We didn't even plan it that way, but yeah, we've well, except for the last one. The last one's four years after, but it just kind of works out that way.
0: That's how my family was. Four
3: kids, all three years apart. When I was growing up. Wow,
0: Hans! I, I forgot, Hans. Do you have any kids?
3: No, we don't. Um, okay. Yep. You know, okay. Got to get cracking, um, brother. Got to get cracking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, Danny, the, the question on 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 the so where you're from. So I think I think Utah. Would you? And maybe this is ignorant of me to say, but would you say that Utah? Is, uh, is, is typically a, a, a market where it's pretty, pretty heavy on, like, say, the pickup truck, more SUV, and not as much electric vehicle adoption. Is that an accurate statement?
3: Uh, I would say we've probably got a higher percentage of pickup trucks, um, just because, I mean, literally within 20 minutes of my house, I can be in the mountains. Um, which is phenomenal. That's why I love Utah is I go two hours in any direction and I got any kind of land I want to be, whether it's sand dunes, Lake Powell, um, the Uenas, like thick forest area or like Arches national park. So it's, it's quite attractive on that point. If you like the outdoors, it's definitely the place to be. Um, but, um, so there are a lot of pickup trucks. There's a lot of uh, four-wheel drive uh, enthusiasts around here, but we also, I mean, they've they've nicknamed like the South Draper area and like Lehigh area at the point of the mountain, uh, Silicon Slopes. Like we have Adobe here now. We've got like a mass exodus of tech companies that are, that over the past ten years have been coming to Utah. Um, so we've got a lot of. There's a lot of Teslas around too. That's for dang sure. Um, that,
0: that was going to be my question. Have you noticed any sort of, because um, when I think about that, like Texas is very similar too. Like it, it, Texas, like people love the sort of the outdoors. They love, you know, they love their freaking pickup trucks out here. But one of the things I'm noticing around this area, again, I'm close, very close to Austin. I'm, I'm basically in Austin. I'm Austin Metro. And I don't live in the actual city of Austin, like 30 miles from downtown. But mm-hmm. um, I'm still, in the last two years, I've still noticed this very drastic sort of, way of how people would traditionally perceive an electric vehicle in this area, I would say, has drastically changed in the last two years. Would you say, is that also applicable to your region by any chance? I'm just curious, like, have you noticed a tone shift around where you live?
3: Oh yeah, I would definitely say that, and and kind of to your point, the Cybertruck, the ones that have been on, on the fence about it for since the beginning or whatnot, or haven't even considered an electric vehicle, The second Mm -hmm. that Cybertruck gets here, and and we actually have ground clearance, like we don't go over a bump, and not to say that Teslas do that, but a lot of the truck guys, that's kind of their perception is if I can't take this off road, um, then I have no business buying the dang thing. But you give us that ground clearance, and especially, I mean. Elon knows what he was doing with the marketing when that came out. And then the ramp comes out of the tailgate and he's pulling in an electric four-wheeler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, where do I sign? Like hook, hook that up, brother.
0: That's badass. But That's uh, awesome.
3: The other, the other thing that kind of is fascinating and maybe, maybe the, a recession would help kind of sell that is if we do get to FSD, um, full FSD. One thing that I kept thinking about is... Well, you've already FSD and the uh, structure behind it, all the hardware behind it, obviously is built for a car. So we're we're already building it to where it doesn't take a lot of power. We don't want to consume a lot of power for this chip and this this computer to run. So it's already kind of the pioneering stages of putting that um, that setup in Optimus. And one thought that occurred to me, I was like, well, why don't why don't they just Sell Optimus. Obviously, this wouldn't happen for a while, but sell Optimus with like a camera package that you could easily mm-hmm. integrate it with like new EVs that maybe aren't even Teslas. And you literally just have Optimus drive you around. You have like a license plate camera, mirror cameras, easily access to power right there to supply the power to the cameras. Have it easily integrate with Optimus and just have Optimus run FSD and integrate with the cameras that uh, that you install.
0: So, so this is literally, just to make sure I get my head wrapped around this, so this is literally like, instead of, so say Tesla already has this self-driving stuff figured out, right? Mm-hmm. So this is for cars that are non-Teslas that are not necessarily self-driving, where the bot theoretically would have the same self-driving suite as the Tesla that it would just literally jump in the driver's seat and then literally drive the car for you. Is that what you're describing? Correct. Yep. Okay. That's, 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 where crazy. My,
3: that's where mine go, <laughs> my mind goes is because you know, like Tesla, they build all that hardware in and it's just not active yet. And then yeah. they send out a software update and boom, now it's active. Now you guys have that capability. Yeah. A lot of, I, I would say for historically, and I could, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see GM, Ford, um, all these other companies if they don't need it at this point. Or if it's not something that's released, they don't stick it in the vehicle yet. They have all these right. different trims currently for that's what all these different trims are for is if you want the GPS package or if you want all of that, then you, you upgrade a different trim. Um, to me, it's like, well, there's an opportunity. It's not like they could just finally figure out FSD and then uh, just send out a software update. They'd have to upgrade the hardware. So it's like, OK, well, license Optimus sell a camera package with it just so it has the 360 degrees um that you could just easily install to any other ev and uh that's just one more revenue stream in my opinion i know it's You're out ha- there i know that's out no, there i mean but- <laughs> i love it
0: i love it because it's like is there anything about the laws of physics that would prevent you from doing that right no. i think i think the question becomes how how much effort does Tesla think that's going to require versus um, versus trying to drive the adoption of self-driving through their product line instead, right? So, And in this case would be, so you would want to self-drive, like you would want to self-drive probably majority gas cars in this scenario, right? Because theoretically, the, Tesla already has majority, like very large majority EV share. And that's probably going to continue for a while. Right. And so within that context, the bot would have to self drive the gas cars instead, not the EVs. Right. So I'm, I'm curious, like how much, how much of a, um, sort of appetite there would be for Tesla to want to, uh, create technology or like use training data for the bot. Cause you really th- have to think about it. it's no longer using cameras on each corner of the car, but now you would have to use, uh, data from the uh, sitting position of the bot with it gimbaling around in a sense right kind of like using the mirrors as well right so you have to think well that's what
3: i mean is actually integrating cameras like literally install like sell Optimus with a package that you install these days every camera every mirror has got power it's like a powered uh, mirror or there's wires right there that you could easily power a camera with Uh, the license plate it's got you could easily get power up to it just have so a, the cameras a would feed
0: the bot and the bot's the input mechanism to the correct. steering wheel. It's basically, mm. it's
3: already got the Tesla technology in it and you don't have to reintegrate to a bunch of different vendors. The only way I see that happening though, because um, you are right, Farzad, I think from an Elon perspective, that's kind of, if, it's kind of off mission, especially because I was thinking more along the lines of like an EV, like competitor EVs. But if it was to... If it was looking at it through a lens of full self-driving for safety's sake and just to get maybe some legislation on board, um, then I could see them moving forward with it just just to kind of get over the legislation hurdle just to, to prove that you can, mm-hmm. um, you can do that and get more data that way. If it's looking at it through a lens of the reason I think that they – there's a lesser chance of them doing that, especially for gas cars. It's kind of against Tesla's mission
2: is there's a market that, you know, would be a really interesting place to apply that. And that would just be truck transport that, you know, there's really two large drivers of cost for freight and that's driver labor and fuel. And with fuel costs rising, you know, that, that's going to be something you can't really get around with current trucks. Uh, but the number of cells that Semi is going to take is just so massive. It's going to be quite a while before Tesla can really make a huge dent in the number of electric Semi's on the road. And so it's one scenario that you could imagine maybe Elon being willing to license either full self-driving packages to Semi manufacturers or retrofits or doing something like you're talking about with an Optimus driver. Um, and I don't know... I mean, they might still get to the point where they have quite a few electric semis before they get an Optimus bot that can do autonomous driving. So it's kind of a chicken and the egg situation, but definitely an area where you might like you could reasonably make a case why Tesla would still do it, even though it's a gas powered vehicle, Um, because you can you can drive large deflationary pressure on the entire economy by providing cheaper transport costs for all the goods that we buy.
3: And how many how many times do we hear how many truck drivers are leaving? Like we're having a massive plunge in the amount of truck drivers that are on the road these days, from what I hear.
1: Matt, what do you think? So you know, I was thinking about it, like from a from a physics standpoint, was was the, the question you brought up, Farzad, and and the only downside I can really see is is you're going to have um, a long kind of latency cycle from when that is made to when the vehicle is actually implementing it and keeping in mind that like ice cars are actually slower on accelerating in particular but um, probably also on on braking because you're not doing the regenerative braking Um, so I would imagine the safety would be a little bit worse with that kind of like retrofit example just because you're going to have to add a few milliseconds for for each one of these decisions Um, and then I, I wonder also the extent to which you need to um kind of train the 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 uh, um the software on on different form factors so this is i I guess i don't know the the answer to this question but um like does it react differently when it's driving like a model s plaid that can go like zero to 60 in 1.9 seconds uh versus you know just a a real world rear wheel drive model three um i would assume there's there's you know, probably slight differences in acceleration. And, and I wonder to what extent it's it's customized or adjusted for, for those different models. And so if you start extrapolating that to every single possible model, I don't think that's an insurmountable issue. Um, but you could just have, you know, it could require more and more training or, or kind of different variables that um, may not be worth it to, to Tesla. And it seems like it would also be Probably, maybe not better because cause there's definitely a benefit to retrofitting existing vehicles. I think that's that's very clear. Um, but I think selling the FSD system to other manufacturers so that they can, you know, have that on their vehicles is a, a very viable and financially very attractive option as well. Yeah, yeah. I the only the, I th- the
3: only reason I thought that that may be an option is I don't I don't know. Do you, you really think Mar- Mary Barra is going to uh, no, want to buy a Tesla? No, absolutely not.
1: No way. <laughs> you know, you know I mean? Like, uh, she said.
3: Give it to the customer. The customer says, hey, I've got a GM. I love I love the GM, blah, blah, blah. I've got a Hummer EV, yay. Um, <laughs> but hey, I can I can buy this Optimus package from Tesla and make it work because obviously GM's not going to do it
0: yeah, in I my think- opinion. I think what's interesting is so when when the Model Y so I'm trying to think. So when Model Y released, we didn't have FSD beta yet on public roads, I don't think. I think it was Navigator on Autopilot. But Navigator on Autopilot came with the car essentially, right? With the Model Y. When the Model mm-hmm. Three and the Model S and X already had it. Well, not, and not the Model Y.
1: Just regular autopilot, not Navigator on Autopilot.
0: Oh, was it? Okay. Okay. Yeah, because Navigate um, on the
1: autopilots, like the lane changes and stuff like that, and that, that was not included.
0: Okay, it wasn't included? Okay. I'm just trying to think, because I, what I remember is Model Y had some sort of ability to do either autopilot. It had to have been autopilot at that point, but it, it was it was a different form factor, so the cameras were placed differently, right? So the angle of the cameras were different. The Obviously, the acceleration rate, the braking rate, the steering sort of angles it would take were all different, but I feel like that car was was uh capable of doing some sort of uh, assisted drive uh pr- basically off the off off as soon as it was sold so I'm curious mm-hmm. like if the input problem is perhaps not as difficult as it, as it as it originally like as we would think it would be right but yeah. I think I think the yeah yeah, yeah.
1: It, it might not be you know and I think it may be uh, like a harder and again not insurmountable challenge but it is like like now to, to turn rather than kind of like do direct drive like through the you know vehicle itself you're you like physically gripping the wheel and turning it and then like All optimus right. has to figure out how to cross over its hands to do a turn and like those are not insurmountable problems but it's really complicated um and i don't I, i'm very curious just to see what the optimus kind of like rollout and training looks like because i have a feeling it's going to be like super specialized for a very long time like like factory workers and like yeah like as few degrees of freedom as possible to kind of handle things and then you know eventually with with dojo being good and them kind of really expanding that and and figuring out frankly how to how to train optimists to do complicated tasks then you know i, I think the opportunities for kind of more specialization and, and broader you know tasks like hey just hop in this car and drive like may, maybe that'll um be an issue but that like then like who, who's gonna be have the driver driver's license like i don't know there, there's regulatory concerns and, and issues as well
3: right oh i, I agree with that on optimus uh, i mean this obviously that uh, thought would be well down the road of it actually driving anybody but uh, mm-hmm. even even i mean i i see even if uh at the end of the year here, when we, we see this prototype, even if all it does literally is come over, grab a box from one pallet, turn over and put it on another one. Like literally I'm happy. Mm. Like I I see optimus growing like FSD starts off really rough, starts off very just, um, just very rough, and then step by step, it learns a little bit more. A little learns a little bit more, more and more mm-hmm. updates. Now we now we add some uh, walking capability to it. Um, and obviously, I think they'll have it walking. That was probably just a, a poor example, but uh, uh, I think it'll just be step by step. They upgrade it slowly, and then before long, uh, go Elon speed, and I think we'll be pl- pleasantly surprised uh how fast it goes once they get it get it rolling
0: yeah do, do, uh, do you all think let's take a quick poll here do you all think that they will show bot at ai day two?
2: Oh yeah i think they'll delay until they have it if they don't have it on september 30th i think he
3: elon already did delay it from what he he had it set yeah, for did. a certain date and then he took he pushed it back to the end of the month specifically so they could show a prototype if i if i understand it right
0: Matt, you're also confident that they'll have it.
1: I don't know about confident, but like I think they'll at least have something now. Like how impressive it will be, um, I think is is definitely up for up for debate. You know, I think if it can actually walk, like that would in my mind, like, that's an incredibly complicated thing. So for them to do that in like a, about a year would be an incredible achievement. So like, frankly, just yeah. that would be great um but if it can do something you know, like some simple sorting task or you know picking up a crate or something like that then i think that would be that would really push up my, my kind of internal time frame of when i think this this could be a real product uh, steve in the yeah, comments think- says have optimists carry a crate labeled not ar-15s <laughs> 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 not a flamethrower not,
0: <laughs> not ar-15s yeah i think i think if if, if it's already able to, to your point, man, and, and Danny kind of alluded to this too, like if it's able to just the simple motion of walking and moving around, which is something that Boston Dynamics, who is uh, sort of seen as the right now best in class robotics company that has been working at it for, for, for a long time, for a long time to yeah. really solve this like mobility problem. If Tesla within a year, they're like, hey, guess what? We figured it out. <laughs> you know? Well,
1: well, and, I, it's, and I think the. How they get there, Farzad, would be really, like, because Boston Dynamics is doing, like, a lot of, like, hard manual programming, right? But if Tesla just says, hey, like, we leverage our existing AI infrastructure and the thing couldn't even, like, get up on its knees at first and we just, like, you know, fed it all the the data on the ways that it failed and eventually the AI system taught itself how to walk and how to pick up a box after just failing and figuring it out. Like, if that's the story, like, to me, that's really, really important. That's That's much bigger.
2: And the mechanics of walking are so well understood that it's not something that they have to have a physical prototype to do the training with. That is totally simulatable, and they can teach the AI algorithm to do that. They just have to have a good understanding of the actual, you know, electromechanical dynamics of the servos and all the all the pieces of their specific bottom implementation um, that they can plug in as inputs to that that algorithm. But yeah, they can totally teach an AI algorithm how to do the walking um, and then get it running on whatever hardware that they're able to put together. So I I would not be at all surprised to see something that is not a hard-coded. It actually is some sort of a neural net architecture that is running a walking algorithm when they show the prototype.
0: There's a comment here from Real Talk. Uh, Tesla factories are full of robotics. Optimus is at least level three already. Hardware is not important this coming AI day, it's AI and command software is walk? No, think. What do you guys think about that?
1: Yeah, to, to me, oh. I guess walk, <laughs> walking is the first step of think. So like, I agree with the way that this question is phrased, but like if the think gets to walk and then there's a path forward very very quickly where think can go from like, you know, doing dexterous things. Like if, it, if Optimus could ever like sew something to me, that would be like, oh my gosh, like the hardware is fantastic and the AI is like phenomenal. I don't think it'll be anywhere close to that to be clear, but, like, some example of being able to, like, do something, you know, that requires some amount of dexterity, and then from there, like, the path forward to doing more complicated sorting of working tasks, I, I think, but like, I agree, it's, it's thinking, but how, how
2: much is that implemented? Yeah, I, I would expect it to definitely have some of that, just understanding how all of the FSD project came out of ai that they had already implemented in the factories um you know joe just is talking about how what did they call it the bamboo line um where they were they had created neural net architecture in the cars to put every car through all of the battery of safety testing that needed to be done so each car could be qualified individually um so this has been going back a long time that they've been doing this in the factory And so they've got a lot of experience and a lot of projects under their belt of using AI to think and do tasks that were previously done by people. Um, And so now they're taking that and they're packaging it up and they're putting it inside of an Optimus container. Um, So, yeah, I would expect there definitely to be some thinking demonstrated. I don't think that the general public really appreciates how deeply this is been implemented already and that for them to add this into what they're doing in their new work is pretty straightforward
0: there's an interesting comment here if elon shows a bot that works but looks more crude than the sleek dancing bot they showed media will flood it and say tesla's selling vaporware they will downplay it somehow i'm certain and so i think oh, yeah. this is in, this is interesting because like we're just talking about how impressive it would be Especially with Matt's point, how they got to the say the basic movement aspect of it is is really the true story here. But if it if it doesn't somehow impress quote unquote, like it, it does just crude movements and um it, it doesn't say do an active factory job or an active warehouse job or something that it could impact the long-term potential of the stock theoretically. Um, I don't know if that's the case, but do you all think that this could actually be a risk or or is it not a risk because no one's pricing it in the stock? Like, how do you guys think about
2: that? I think it definitely will not be well appreciated by the media. I mean, just linearly extrapolate every single Tesla event that's ever happened (laughs) and you, you end up at that conclusion. You know, I always expected massive things to happen in the stock market in the media when we saw battery day and ai day and all these events in the past and you know every time it's just like crickets even you know cybertruck reveal how it was just massively hated on um i don't think it matters what they show there's going to be so much pushback against it uh, i mean it could be beautiful and i think it would still be hated on by
3: i i think you i think that thing could do a freaking cartwheel and they would still have some reason to throw hate like the media have throw hate its way like honestly um i think i think the and wall street i mean tesla's a car manufacturer guys remember they're a car manufacturer that's all they do so
2: like that seems but, to be the narrative. But Toyota makes robots and Boston Dynamics has already done this before. So, you know, it's nothing. It's a nothing burger. Okay. And uh, at the same time, it's never possible. They will never be able to do it. Yeah. I think Elon had a tweet recently to that exact effect. It's like, you know, we get this pushback that it's simultaneously already been done before and impossible and never, never going to yeah. be done.
0: Yeah. I'm just curious like I think I think where the where the if if we sort of like relate this back to the stock price like where the stock is going to be at AI day is also going to influence how the I think the the stock obviously how the how the stock's going to operate you know if if it somehow rebounds from here and Q2 turns out to be a uh, an amazing quarter or, or it severely beats ex- expectations and we're on a r- run up back to all time highs then I think within that context, say by September 30th, if it's sort of on the way upwards towards that level, uh, it could be at nothing burger regardless of what they show. If it could cure cancer in front of our eyes with this fucking fake – oh, excuse me. Wow, I just cursed. My apologies. Um, but, are you um, human? Oh, no. uh, I don't know. I think. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but I, think, I think it's highly dependent on where we are. And I think with the with the recessionary fears that are going on, if it, if we really do end up – uh in, in, in a in a really bad economic environment um who knows i mean I, within the context of well, that but i think longer term is what's more important right go ahead Matt.
1: The, the the thing
0: that that i could like
1: to your point about no matter what it does no matter like how crude it is like if it's if it's crude they're going to the media is going to say oh like tesla is a joke and like they clearly don't have this if it's like reasonably good kind of like what we're expecting it'll be like all right. Well, they're years away from this being anything. If it's like amazing and it can like already do a Tesla factory job, which to be clear, I'm not expecting. Like you're going to have the AOCs and the Bernie Sanders of the world talking about how Tesla's trying to kill the the American worker. So I think no matter what they do, there's going to be this horrible narrative out there. And, and so, like, I, I really don't expect this is going to be a catalyst kind of like in, in the near term, because there's just like they're just like a fud magnet, no matter like how bad or how good the product is it doesn't matter it's like there's always a different attack vector out there but yeah. I'm well, that, I, that I, don't, I don't know that you answered the question but what are, what are kind of your expectations for for like the bot and how good it's going to be
0: yeah um i think so in my head i, I don't think tesla would show the bot unless it's doing something that's different from every other bot because that's how usually they, they do their product reveals, right? Is they're offering a product that's doing something that is, in a sense, revolutionary for that field or or way more advanced than any other application, right? Uh, Cybertruck, freaking bulletproof steel and, uh, you know a uh, freaking glass that breaks when you throw a freaking steel ball at it, right? So it's like, or whatever, but it's got, you know, it's got adaptive suspension and it's got a freaking ramp that comes out. It's got zero to 16, 2.9. It's got 500 miles of battery. And, it, uh, you know, the list kind of goes on. It's a, it's, a, it's a very unique product for its category, you know, Model X was, Model Y, so on and so forth. So within that context, I think the bot, the bot at this point, if they're gonna show it, it has to be somehow uh, significantly more advanced than its competition, right? So, so what's its closest competition? In my head, I don't—I'm not a robotics expert, but in my head, it's something like a Boston Dynamics. And a Boston Dynamics, what it does—it's—it's it's hard-coded uh, code that says, "Do this dance routine." Okay. Um, so, in my—in my opinion, I think what Tesla is going to show. Um, and I agree with the sentiment that they will show a bot because they wouldn't have delayed it unless they were gonna show a bot. So I agree 100% with that statement. Um, they're gonna show a bot that's going to do something like interpret spoken language for what it is, and then execute on that ex- spoken language. And the example I've used in the past is, uh, in a, say in a warehouse application, one of the things that is uh, repetitious and boring, and honestly dangerous because it is uh, it can cause injuries, is moving uh, freight or parcel from one side of the warehouse where the outbound floor has finished packaging uh, or close to the dock doors over to the dock doors and into the trailers for the trailer to take it to this destination, right? So uh, there is, you can use a pallet jack for a lot of that, but there's, sometimes you have a small parcel and you have to sort through it, you know? You have to sort potentially your express stuff to your ground and your ground stuff, right? So something along the lines of uh, Optimus, please sort parcel and drop off at, at correct dock doors. Right, so like spoken language. And if if they're able to showcase that, hey, we've trained this bot in this way so that it it learns how to interpret your spoken language and then execute against that task in a work environment, um, it, it has to be something close to that in my opinion for it to actually be a Tesla event. So that's how I think about it. So I think they're gonna use it in a real-world application. They're gonna describe how how they've trained the bot to get there and how, and how that training, to your point, Matt, is really the key factor here that is going to allow it to execute in real-world settings. And there was something else, there was a comment that somebody mentioned as well in here, which I'll, I'll put up uh, here in a second, if you just give me uh, four seconds. Somebody mentioned, um, basically, if you take it within the context of, um, you know if this bot learns this okay like someone's bot learns this specific task you can just beam this thing to all the bots across the world and if one bot in a warehouse somewhere learns how to move product from one place to the other then all bots are going to learn how to do that from one place to the other right and i can't find the comment and i do apologize i wanted to give credit to the person but um i,
3: I couldn't i couldn't agree more with that comment i mean it goes I mean, that's what they're currently doing with with Tesla's once they've ironed out the kinks or whatnot. It's just releases it to all the all the Tesla's up, maybe not all at once like that. Maybe it's in in phases, it seems like, but Mm -hmm. uh, very quickly, will it pick it up?
0: Got it. Yeah. Or let's think about what what would Jeff do, or what would Jeff Who do? If I teach my bot a complex task that no one has taught their bot to do yet, will Tesla Dojo learn that and teach every other bot that ask automatically? So you're almost crowdsourcing, you're crowdsourcing the fleet's abilities and sharing it across the entire um, really across the entire fleet. You know, so if somebody teaches their bot how to fold laundry, now everybody knows how to fold laundry. You know, if everybody has learned how to cook, now if one bot has learned how to cook, now everybody knows how to cook. I think I think if they if they showcase that and and somehow uh, do a simple um, example of that at that event, then I think that to me feels like a Tesla event. You know, that is like that's that's what I that's what I would assume they would show based on their previous track record. But I could be wrong. I don't know if you, how you guys feel about that. If it's too sort of like pie in the sky, but that's that's my thought.
1: I, I, I kind of think like with their recruiting events, they really try to like hit people who didn't don't know these details like over the head with how great they are so it wouldn't surprise me if there's like some guy we've never heard of heard of who gives like a 45 minute speech on like their innovations and in actuators over the last couple of years right and, like True. just like how like uh, amazing and energy efficient and dexterous that they are uh, and then like there's somebody else and like the material science side and then somebody else on like Stitching it all together and sensors and like the stuff that they're doing to incorporate like um, audio because right now FSD is is all like visual inputs and learning right so like I think one important thing for the bots going to be how do you incorporate audio learning. So I I think there's going to be like, a lot of like nitty gritty details as much as we like to kind of think about like the big picture of what does it mean. The the real history of Tesla events is they go like way, way deep
3: on the details. So I I think there's going to be a lot of that too. Yeah. And I'll totally be nerding out with him. It's I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I know some
1: of these words. Yay. <laughs> yeah.
0: I know robot. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's fascinating to think about. It really is. Um but, Yeah, go ahead.
3: No, I was just gonna say, and and I mean and maybe that maybe this is a subject for another time or whatnot, but it does it kind of made me think that, yeah, even if this thing is doing cartwheels, even if this thing, obviously it's probably not, but um, one way or another, like, like I think Farzad even made a video about it, that if we do get an amazing robot and we do start seeing, I mean, I I personally don't think we'll see it outside of Tesla for a few years, at least honestly. Um, But even it being inside of Tesla, I mean, that certainly helps with, Uh, I would say, how like their product output. But there comes a time where, I mean, if this thing is incredibly helpful um, and it can help contribute to the economy, I I think Farzad is right that um, it's a whole other conversation we need to start having about, um, cause if, if we do have this thing, start driving trucks and we do have this thing, start laboring in the fields and everything you, I can only imagine the FUD coming from that.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. I think, I think the, and, and I think Matt, uh, sort of alluded to this too, is like if, if AOC and Bernie start taking the, and that sort of that camp of, of politics that they take the camp of this thing's coming to take your jobs. Yeah. Uh, it's, that's going to be an interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. That's, that's going to, that's going to rile up a lot of people. And oh, yeah. especially, especially in a recessionary environment, yeah. right? Yeah, because true. what are businesses going to do? They're going to look for the lowest cost possible to survive. And if they can somehow say the bot actually starts working in 2023, and we're in a deep recession, and uh, you know there's companies lining up to use it for their uh, applications, and it costs pennies on the dollars versus regular labor, you know, like what? What then? You know, and at that point, it's like, okay, like that's how much of that is actually a valid point at that point. You know, if if you get in a recessionary environment where all these companies are actually getting rid of labor because they have to survive and then the bot becomes comes to fruition as a potential variable or a potential tool for them to use down the road and they start getting into the lists with uh, with the intent of not having to hire manual labor for that job then those people that could lose their jobs in the next year theoretically could be out of work for God probably forever, who knows, right? So how much of that is, is real and how much of that is not? It's just, it seems like it's all coalescing. Like all the things are starting to come together in very positive ways, but also in very negative ways. And it seems like mm-hmm. 2023 is gonna be like the, everything's gonna come together. And again, I don't know if I'm thinking crazy about this, but it just seems like something is lining up. Um, you know, The, the taxi angle is extremely positive you know, where Tesla going to offer everyone super cheap conservation uh, transportation, but on the other side, they're going to be like, yeah, but they're going to take your jobs. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird time.
3: Um, but, I mean, what does that do yeah. for the economy? Like, the economy on an enormous scale. I mean, I, I can't remember exactly what Elon was saying, but… I mean that that largely got ignored, I think, in the a few of the last calls that he's done. Um, is what does that mean for like what is the economy at that point once once we have right. Tesla bot going around?
0: Exactly right. Uh, real quick, I just want to address this comment. So so you're saying that we're going to be in a deep recession. How long? What happens to the stock? That's that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it, within within the context of that potentially happening. Uh, you could have a lot of variables that are going to drive the discussion towards very positive routes and very negative routes. So I'm not saying a recession is going to happen. I'm just role playing that. If if it were to happen, expect those kinds of uh, variables potentially. So just want to make sure I'm I'm clear there. Not investment advice. None of this is investment advice, by the way. I should have said that at the beginning. (laughs) Everyone's on the hook now. Um, Hans, you want to kick us off with your topic? Um, I know that there was a, a couple that you wanted to touch, but Um, go ahead and do that for us. I'm going to step away for four seconds, but I can still hear Mm -hmm. you. So just go ahead and uh, kick us off if if you don't mind.
2: Well, we really already talked about the main, uh, topic that I wanted to discuss. It's kind of what we launched into Just really wanting to think through what are the, what are the potential bear case scenarios that we should be on the lookout for, um, with, you know, being terrible macro environment, having potentially stalled progress on FSD, potentially stalled progress on Optimus. And then also the one that I didn't mention earlier was key man risk with Elon. Um, I don't think that any of those things are highly likely and I definitely don't think that all three of them together are likely at all. And I think, um, I guess the, the counter argument to that, and I really would love to get your take on this Matt is you know, if we really are in a recessionary environment and we do see progress being made on the FSD front, Optimus front, that what do you think the likelihood is that Tesla will be viewed as a flight to safety from an awful macro environment and that it will kind of turn into a replay of the 2020 V-shaped recovery in tech, but maybe be more localized to... Um, companies that have a lot more traction like Tesla.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I I think I want to say I think that's starting to happen, but I don't I don't think that's actually true. I think that's just wishful thinking on on my part. Um, But, you know, I was I was doing some digging onto this topic the other day because like I was looking at utility stocks. I used to work for a utility company and i was on their their non-regulated side but um you know utility stocks are kind of viewed as the ultimate kind of like safety asset um but like these utility stocks right now are trading at pe's of between like 25 and 30. um and you got to keep in mind that they are restricted from growing so they can't really grow more than about seven percent per year because they're regulated and if they grow more than that then they have to basically give that those earnings back to customers back to Mm ratepayers. So like we, you look at the peg ratio on that and you're like, okay well those peg ratios are like you know three and a half to four, which is crazy. Like you should not be paying that much for quote unquote safety. So like safe, like the traditional safe assets in my mind are way overvalued. Um, and, and people look at Tesla and they say, okay, well, it's volatile, so it must be risky. But I would say the quality of Tesla's earnings and their ability to sustain those and more importantly to, to kind of grow those in the future, mm-hmm um in my mind that's like the, the definition of safety so like would you rather like tesla right now is, is trading at a peg of a little over one and, and so in my mind i'm like would, would you rather buy tesla at a peg of you know a little over one uh with whatever uncertainty and whatever opportunities you see or would you rather buy a utility company which sells electricity at like you know three times the peg ratio of Tesla, when they're selling a product that is like three times to four times the cost of like residential um, photovoltaic rooftop rooftop PV. And, and so like, I think the whole market is just not thinking about risk and, and reward right at the moment. Um, I mean, I talked about this a little bit in some of our good soil investment live streams too, where like you've got like all of like the terrible SPACs out there have fallen like 80%, but like a, a, a lot of amazing companies out there have fallen 80% too. And so I think the market's just done a terrible job so far of kind of like differentiating, you know, which companies are truly like valuable and, and winners in the, in the long run. So maybe a, a bit of a long-winded answer, but I, I think, you know, like it, in my mind anyways, and of course I could be wrong and, and the market could, could do things that, you know, I think do, doesn't make sense. But I, I think with tesla's earnings i mean presuming they kind of continue to post um you know reasonable earnings growth going forward for the next couple of quarters even using wall street's estimates which i think are really way too low um but they've, they've got like 18 for 2023 but if you just assume they hit those numbers which is kind of like a bear case for me it's like well, well how low can the pe really be and and so then you can kind of come up with like a floor of like well if the stock really isn't reacting uh based on how macro is then i think you you do the, the argument for kind of flight to safety uh, gets stronger and stronger.
0: Danny, any thoughts?
3: Um, nah, not, not at the moment.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think I think the, the one thing that I keep getting stuck on with like the flight to so- safety angle, um, you know, I think Matt nailed it. There, there was actually, I wanted to kind of confirm this with you, Matt. So I shared something on... On the screen, so I t- I just type utilities in in Yahoo, and this is one. Uh, this is a company that has uh, so it's in the utility sector. Next, Extra Energy. I don't know if you're familiar Next, with them. They have Next a market Dera, they're, cap.
1: They're pretty unregulated, actually. So like, um, uh, like what would be a good one? Like uh, CMS Energy would be a, a good one, or Southern Company. CMS? Southern Company's right there, close to the top.
0: Oh, sorry.
1: Should we look uh, at Southern instead? Right, this, work. It doesn't matter. They should be okay, both similar. similar. I mean,
0: these... Okay. Do you want me to go, like, statistics, for example? So, Is, yeah, if, have if you the... look at
1: statistics, so, like, forward PE 34, look at that. Uh, up at the top, it was. Uh, Sorry. Right here. Yeah. Forward PE 34, peg ratio 3.59. That's crazy for a freaking utility like Tesla, what's Tesla's if you if you do those right now? Um, Tesla's so let me actually duplicate PE this. is gonna be a little bit higher and their peg's gonna be way lower.
0: <laughs> That's insane.
2: <laughs>
1: wow. Yeah. So so to me this is like that that does not make any sense at all. Like and wow. So how long can this persist? I don't know. But kind of what what I keep thinking is, and I alluded to this at the top of the conversation, um, but like this huge fall that we've seen in Tesla, like it, it's all been on the back of essentially no operating news from the company. So they had this amazing Q1 report and then the stock just like crumbled due to macro after that. So how many quarters of kind of posting good results is it going to take before the market says, oh, you know what? Like, sure, macro is bad, but Tesla seems to be okay." Um, I I think that's it may just take some
0: time. Um, Real quick question on that. Yeah. Real quick question on that. So is is the 3.59 peg ratio for Southern, is that more a function of them being overvalued or is that a function of Tesla being undervalued? So is a, a forward P of 20 for Southern like a, a, a realistic PE for that type of company as an example? Well, I mean,
1: I, I kind of think all the utility stocks are a little bit overvalued and, and I'm certainly biased in, in that regard. But like, you know, finance theory would say you that would tell you that like a companies should tend towards a, a PE of one. Um, and so the fact that like if, if you looked at at that chart that you had up there, going back several years, they had peg ratios over three. Um, So what that tells you is that like these these safe assets, these, you know, dividend yielding assets are, you know, there's there's probably too much capital kind of concentrating on those because they're safe, they're well known, they're super easy to analyze, like, this is really basic stuff. Um, and, And people kind of, I, I've spoke to some of our investors when I was, you know, with with our company and like about some of the kind of systemic risks that I saw that could like ultimately kill these companies, and they're like, I, I kind of think that's not going to happen, and you know, really just don't touch our dividend is like the extent that they think about this stuff, and it's just like it's so like short term wrong thinking. But they're the ones who appoint the CEOs and and they're the ones who, you know, make all the kind of investing, approve all the the large investing and strategy decisions of the company. Um, And so I think you you just got this situation where like people doing this business are super comfortable. They know the, the business. It's worked for the last 120 years. So surely by the time I retire 10 years from now, then it should be fine. Like, I don't think the system will implode. And. You know, even if it does, like I'll get five years and a nice bonus, like when the company falls apart. But really, for the most part, they just they just don't think that it's possible that these businesses will fall apart. Um, yeah. And I just think that couldn't be further from the truth.
0: That's a, I mean, that, that was a very eye opening stat you just shared I, before we even go back to that. So Emma Peppers in the house, Emma Peppers, if you don't know, good soil partner. Matt's a Matt's a counterpart on good soil. Keep up the good chat, brainstorm. Great to listen to a good live stream like this while I'm doing other things instead of Bloomberg CNBC on background. What's CNBC anyway? Anybody know what that is? Just
2: kidding. CNBC. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: That's yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> and, and Stephen Mark Ryan's uh, accent also.
1: Yeah, I have to. I gotta I
3: have a terrible <laughs> Australian <laughs>
0: accent. Hans, is your Australian accent any good? That's it's here.
2: not good, but uh, cnbs
0: that's pretty that's, good. That's better than I did. Yeah. That's, that's All good. right. That's better than anything I could muster. Welcome, Emmett. We'll have to have you <laughs> on one of these uh, at some point in the future if you're up for it, my friend. Um, we love having – I mean, Matt, you've been a freaking incredible addition to this forum, by the way. You've been mm-hmm. incredibly insightful. So thank you for, for joining us today. Um, let me go back to that one thing. So, so if we go back to the thing that Matt was talking about, yeah, so like the, the peg ratio on the – on the utility company, Southern Company, so this is historical. So as of, so, this is 331-21. So as of March 31st, 2021, their PEG ratio was 3.37. Then as we come towards the present, 6th, June 30th, 3.77, 3.35, 3.52, 3.25, uh, to current 3.59. So they've been in this range of sort of 3.5. So at least for the last, call it, year and three months or so, the market has been comfortable giving them a price that correlates to that peg ratio, right? Mm-hmm. So is that a good way of interpreting it, Matt? Is that a, is that a yeah. proper way of thinking about it? Okay. Yeah, and, and, um, and they're just like a couple dollars off their all-time high. Um, meanwhile,
1: if you're familiar with it, like Southern Company in particular, they, they have built these like total boondoggle plants in South Carolina and Georgia, I think it is, where like they tried to do like a clean coal plant and then like a, a nuclear plant. And, and it was like it's gone billions of dollars over budget, and they're just charging their customers these fees, like huge exorbitant fees for power plants that are just under construction and have not actually been built yet. And it's like, okay, well, we don't really care about how you actually perform as a company. Um, the dividends have been great. So <laughs> let's flow here. Yeah. It's just,
2: it's just, I have a question on that, Matt. Yeah. So – one of the things that Peter Zihon does kind of harp on is just demographic changes. And so I'm curious how much this has an impact on thing that is the boomers, you know, they have been in this era of approaching retirement where they have the most discretionary money to be able to invest. And then as the market was going crazy, they kind of a lot of boomer money sloshing around. But then as they actually pass retirement, all that stuff that they were assigning to speculation, they're rotating that into income um, and they're doing a flight to safety. So do you think that's part of what it is that we're seeing kind of just on top of all the macro or how much of a factor is that in, you know, something, you know, dividends would be a great example. Like we just want our 4%, 5%, whatever dividends we can get we care about that a whole lot more than really looking into the fundamentals of the company and whether or not it's working because it looks good to you know my retirement portfolio.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that could be part of it. My sense is it's, it's probably um, overshadowed by macro. Um, I mean, for example, as you get closer to retirement or especially once you're in retirement, like traditional kind of portfolio management theory will tell you you want to have a lot more in, in fixed income rather than equities. Um, But the bond market has been absolutely trashed, you know, year to date. So, um, that to me is maybe an indication that while the trend that you're talking about, I I do believe, is probably playing out. um, I think it's probably playing out something in in slow motion, you know, over like a decade or two. That that kind of trend may take place. Um, But yeah, I I think the the bigger things are are just what's going on in back row with interest rates and inflation.
0: How do you guys think about key man risk? That was one of the topics that I know Hans was talking about sort of in the uh in the context of um of uh one of the bear factors. How do you think about key man risk in this as it pertains to Tesla? Anyone want to take a stab at it? Shouldn't blabbing first. too much. Someone
3: else.
0: Yeah, I think I think the one thing that, that's interesting about um, key man risk is that the 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 longer the longer Elon Musk is at the company, the the less that risk becomes. Right. So I think the the question becomes like is is today if, if Elon were to leave right now, it, was there going to be a, a big impact to Tesla? Um, I think like because of the recent thing that happened with him announcing the layoffs at the company as an example, like the ten percent salary. Um, the fact that it had to come from Elon was a little bit of like, okay, he's still kind of needed to ensure that the culture exists, right? So that to me says that having Elon at the company uh, to this day is still important because we don't we don't really know who's that person that's going to come forward that says, hey, like everybody, like, every, like we shouldn't have allowed this to happen, you know, at the point it's like, hey, everybody needs to get back to work. Oh, like it looks like we have too many people. We need to let go of ten percent of the of the company, uh, the salary workers. Which to remind people is a standard operating procedure for really any company in, in reality. And Tesla is, is is no is no stranger to this, and they've done it before. So to me, what that tells me is that Tesla still has a little bit of a key man risk with Elon uh, b- because of that culture aspect, which in my opinion is is um, Tesla's most important. Um, competitive advantage. Forget the batteries, forget the drivetrain, it's culture. And we've talked about that uh, quite a bit on on this channel. Um, But that's how I think about it. Um, But uh, two years from now, three years from now, uh, I think that key man risk comes down dramatically as the company continues to grow. And hopefully, uh, this last thing that happened with the, you know, Elon calling everybody back to work was an important reminder to the leadership group that says, like, let's not get Let's not get lazy here. Let's not get mm-hmm. complacent. And I think the COVID transition was also something that that was very impactful to that because uh, it's human nature to sort of like kind of sit on your laurels if you're gonna have more of a cushy environment, like working remotely quite a bit. Even if you work at Tesla, like if a percentage of your workforce is not coming to work they're, and they have their dog sitting on their lap while they're working or, you know, working, that's, that's still gonna be a, uh, you're, you're gonna f- see yourself falling into that sort of like, Comfort, you know, you have to be in the fire to really feel like you're working at Tesla. Um, but this reminder is a good thing. I think it again resets the stage for everybody else that says, Hey, like we still work at Tesla, don't forget. Um, but yeah, I, I do, I do wonder like at this year's, um, at this year's uh, investor meeting, I, I think it's July, I forget August, I forget what the date is. I think it's August, August um, yeah. Like, Who's going to ask the key man risk question? Is that is that question going to be asked at that uh, specific meeting? You know, and and what kind of answer will Elon have to that? And I'm, I'm going to guess it's going to be Ooh. pretty standard. It's going to be like, you know, we're because he can't say he can't offer an answer either way. If he says that yes, we yeah. have somebody identified, it implies that he's going to leave soon. If he says no, we don't have anybody identified, it implies that there's key man risk, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's like he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. But um, that's how I think about it, and uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on top of that, but that's that's where my head goes. I don't know if it, yeah,
2: yeah. For me, the the part of the key man risk that makes me concerned is I think he's you know he's built an incredible culture so far, but I think he really is like a once in a millennia personality, and his ability to operate. I mean, we've seen how, and it's been talked about and described by so many different people how flat all the organizations are. That flatness is only possible when you have Elon at the top, and he's his ability to be that flat and that wide is completely unique and completely unparalleled. And you know, he's got so many rock star people on his team, but none of them, you know, Gwen Shotwell cannot run four major companies going on a fifth. (laughs) All at the same time. And she's awesome. She's incredible. Like, she's probably world class, but she couldn't do what Elon is doing. And, you know, the same can be said about Drew Baglino or uh, Zachary Kirkhorn. Like, all these people are incredible. Um, but he's just, yeah, unparalleled in his ability to just create this mental model of all of these different organizations and then be able to fully traverse the depth of the company. And the width of the company, um, and so I think it definitely. It, so you know that raises the question in my mind. Okay, how do we maintain those cultures? How do we maintain the effectiveness of those organizations? And you know, so much of their competitive advantage is in how flat they do operate. And so, if we lose our ability to be that flat, you know, what does that hold for the future? And I think they all have an incredible runway. And even without Elon. You know, an incredible ability to execute and change the world, um, but is it the same as it is with Elon at the top? I don't think so.
0: Yeah, Danny, Matt, any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, yeah I just, I, I, mean, I just want ahead, him to stay, stay healthy for sure, and, um, I mean. It's, it's it is incredible what he what he does do i mean the guy goes where the bottle where the biggest bottleneck of any of those companies are and then he sleeps there takes care of it works with the people um, that's one thing that i mean if you if i would have if you would have told me 10 years ago that i would even be stupid enough to start my own company and all of that i would have told you you're freaking nuts like i've just been uh i've I've always been the guy working working with my hands and right in the middle of it and uh that's what finally got me to do it was just like all right i'm sick of constantly knowing like this is the direction that we should go here's like we've got all the engineers saying this is the way we need to go we report it and why it makes sense even the return on investment makes sense and then nothing so it's like well I mean, you can call me whatever the heck you want to be, but I'll right, I'll be right there fighting with you, and that's uh, I, that's what I love about Elon is it's he's very much leading from the front, and um, if that doesn't inspire the the culture around him, I don't know what does.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and I would just add like he's he's seems to be increasing the rate at which he's making enemies, which makes me a little bit concerned. Um, I mean, the, the stuff that he's done in, in Ukraine is incredibly remarkable with with deploying Starlink and it's, it's absolutely made a difference, but like that can't have increased his life expectancy. I think by, you know, making enemies with the Kremlin, uh, a lot of people have been known to have health incidents after, after making enemies with Putin. So that's, that's not, uh, necessarily great news from that standpoint. Um, but, um, I, I think I mean, Hans, you were saying it before, just, like, the the work ethic and, like, the sleeping on the factory floor. Like, that's the stuff that is just so remarkable. And we had a couple of Rivian bulls on our channel kind of talking about, like, oh, you know, they've got minus 500% gross margins. Like, what do you think, like, is, is RJ Scaringe going to get out there and get on the floor? And they're like, these are big bulls for Rivian. And they're like, nah, he's probably a little too bougie to do that. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think you want to be investing. <laughs> In a company where it's like you like the CEO, but you think they're too bougie to like kick it out there yeah. with the factory workers. Like it's just Ooh. I don't know. He he is such a unique talent. Um and it's I agree with what you said, Farzad though. Like I I'm the like I, I'd be much more worried about Elon like leaving or dying or whatever, like three, four years ago than I am now. I, I think the company has Ooh. reached the the scale where, you know, it it's tesla's gonna do fine kind of no matter what i mean the, the the leak we saw last night i think it was about master plan part three is essentially all about just scaling yeah. in my mind if drew baglino had to be the guy who lead leak? the scaling effort uh electric had uh like some leaked internal uh, team meeting that oh, where Elon was talking and
0: i didn't I see this let me let me pull this up he said
1: that the, the master plan part three, which we've heard about for a while, is all about scale, like achieving
2: ridiculous scale or something like that. Mm-hmm. We know that Farzad's behind on his uh, Rob Mauer.
0: <laughs> behind my, like, is that, is that who brought it to light?
2: <laughs> he definitely talked oh. about it last night.
0: Okay, yeah. I missed that one too, I, actually. Rob's a man. Shout out which Rob. Oh, by the way, I also mm-hmm. want to do a shout out uh, Yashu, Juju Gangs here. Uh, Yashu from Hit That Bid. Where's your comment, nice. bro? There we go. So we got Yashu in the house. Welcome, my friend. Juju gang, if there's any Juju gang in the house. What's up? What's up? Uh, so this is the, I guess, Master Plan Part 3 is all about achieving very large scale. In order to shift the entire energy infrastructure and transport infrastructure of Earth, there has to be a very high scale. We have to ask what is the actual tonnage uh, if we work backwards and let's just say 300 terawatts. Okay, so I guess it was this... um that's what Master Plan Three is all, all about. How do you get enough scale to actually shift the entire energy infrastructure of Earth? Okay. Is this oh, kind of what very, you were alluding to? That's yeah, very bullish
3: yes. on Tesla energy. It seems like most people think that Tesla ignores ignores I mean they're building it, but they don't focus too much on solar and and battery packs and all of that. But I I would see that as a natural progression as as they uh, have more scale on their their vehicles and bring the demand down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Matt, I didn't mean to cut you off there.
1: No, no, it, it's fine. It was. Um, it, 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 you're right, though, Danny. It is very bullish for Tesla Energy, and, and I'm I'm not worried about energy. I've always viewed it as like a 2030 and beyond. Really, that's when it's going to be meaningful. Um, but I'm I'm super excited for it. But to, to to my point before we brought that up though, Farzad, it was like this isn't um like figure out how to make cars like it was with the Model Three ramp, you know, where like the company almost went bankrupt and it was like they didn't really know how to do it. So, you know, if Elon does move on or if shifts his attention to um SpaceX more with trying to get people on Mars, which I think to some extent is, is reasonable for us to expect over the next decade. Um, I, I do think like Drew Baglino could be the guy who kind of comes in and says, all right, we have like our playbook of how to build gigafactories. There's certainly stuff we need to figure out on the energy side of how to scale more efficiently and productively or whatever. But I th- I think the skill sets needed to scale an existing system is a lot different from like the moonshots that need to be created out of thin air, which is like what Elon specializes in. Um so I think you know the time may be right in the next five, ten years for him for him to move on. And it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if that happens.
0: Got it. And
1: Are I think it think- is a
2: oh go ahead, Hans, sorry. I was going to say, I think it is a direct answer, too, to, you know, one of the risks in deglobalization is just as you disrupt supply chains and you disrupt energy and food sources, you know, if countries can't keep the lights on, that's a huge deal. And so the more that Elon can drive scale in their ability to help countries become independent in their own energy production and uh, storage and ability to keep lights on for their Citizens, then that is incredibly important. So you know, going back to, they can use that as an existential threat to really drive massive progress and massive growth in the company, right there in that area as well.
0: Great points. Um, Ten minutes left until we hit the two-hour mark. Are you all uh, comfortable with a little bit of Q and A from the chat? You guys cool let's with that? Do it. Yeah, let's involve our folks. I uh, posted Isn't the a first
2: message.
3: One- Like I said in the first one, brother, man, I'm here as long as you need me, brother. (laughs) I love it.
0: You guys are awesome, man. By the way, everybody who's been watching this so far, thank you so much for the comments, how active you guys have been with with the thing. This is our first time live streaming this sort of format with the uh, Fars and Friends, I guess we're calling it. That was Kuba's idea. It was one of our uh, Discord members, channel members, and... uh, I, I loved it and we ran with it. And if you're uh, freaked out by the thumbnail, I, I know we're too sexy, so that's okay. You understand.
1: I, do I, was, ju- I was just do looking you know for my do? hair.
3: That's all I was doing. I was like, Ugh. where'd it go? Where'd
1: it go? <laughs> yeah, we did get the backstory. It. This is as far as that sexy pose,
0: though. I think that
1: was yeah. when we
3: were
0: online. Yeah. <laughs> nice. It, it was my sexy pose. No it was sexy pose. No wonder I was trying to pose.
1: channel that for myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I don't have any of it. So I, you did, You guys did it way better than I did, I'll tell you that right now. Uh, let's uh, go with the first question here in the chat. Thank you all for your questions. Um, do you think a deep recession would help uh, Arch- Archimoto, which sells more affordable EVs? Any Any of you guys have any thoughts on that? I'm not familiar with the company, so I don't know if I can answer this question, but any of you guys have any thoughts?
3: I, mean, I, I know heard of, of Arkimoto.
1: Arcimoto makes those like, uh, I think they're three wheeled, maybe they're four wheeled. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of like a slightly cooler golf cart. You know, it's, oh, it's like enough to like okay. get your yeah. um, groceries and c- go back. It's like, you know, kind of like a stripped down car. Uh, to me, it seems like it could be, but I personally, I just don't really see that form factor taking off. Um, I think Arkimoto, from what I've heard, the CEO is an impressive mm-hmm. dude. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're successful, but I don't think that's going to be like, you know, even five
2: percent of the market anytime soon. Yeah, they definitely have some challenges ahead of them. I've been, uh, I've got a small position, been following them for a while, and um, yeah, scale is is the big one. They definitely have not hit yet the point where they're ramping up mass production, so they've got to be able to figure out how to do that, and then doing that in a recessionary environment will be difficult. Um, and you know, trying to ramp up production means that they need lots more batteries so trying to acquire battery supply in an environment where, you know, Tesla and all the other automakers are eating up battery supply is going to be a challenge. And that's not to say that they can't do it. Um, I do think that the recession would lead consumers to consider that change of form factor at a higher degree. And um, especially their MLM concept looks really interesting. I think you might see um, that being something that they could make pretty decent Money selling quite a few of, um, but yeah that that requires that they they do what Elon keeps telling us is the hardest thing to do, and that scaling production. So um, possibility, but lots of huge risks ahead for Arcimoto still.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if I saw that, that if the price tag was correct eighteen thousand dollars for that sort of vehicle, I don't know, man. That's like you can buy a used car that's mm-hmm. has a lot more utility than that for say. Even if it's a beater, you know, like a, like a piece of crap, 1999 Honda Civic, you know, I think it's going to give you far more utility at a much lower cost in case of a recession. Like this is more of a, I'm not so sure this is going to be a recession. play. But again, I don't know enough about the company. So that won't to fly much. in Michigan. I'll say that much. You, you can't have that in okay. 10 degree weather. So yeah. it's yeah. going to be limited
1: use cases. The other Ooh. thing
3: that I, that struck me was uh, what, what's the safety rating on those? I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm all about like, ev- like uh, four wheelers and all that good stuff, but and I, it looks like those are uh, meant for the road and everything like that. But I would imagine, uh, yeah, you definitely can't put your family in one of those. <laughs> just, just Gosh, saying.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I saw
0: Yasha's comment. I had to post it. You're welcome, Earth. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yasha, you're too kind my friend uh next question should elon separate his tweets between personal and business sites what do y'all think
3: hell no <laughs> I, I i find it uh, honestly uh, there's a lot of twitter uh a lot of tweets from elon that are just hilarious i it's uh I don't know. Me personally, I, I like it just the way it is. That's that's my two cents.
2: I kind of see it as a moot point. I mean, he's going to do what he's going to do, and yeah. obviously there's not anyone else who's going to convince him otherwise. Elon, will Elon.
1: Yeah, completely agree. I was thinking the exact same thing. It's a moot point. It's like maybe he should have some more self-restraint, but he's not going to, so <laughs> oh well.
0: Yeah. I'm aligned. Great question. Uh, BYD is doing well. Should we be concerned?
3: No. Mary That's Mar a good thing because be apparently we're getting uh, – Tesla's Tesla's buying, buying some batteries from BYD. So good for BYD. Tesla, give, Tesla give us those batteries. they
1: were not aware of whatever that news was. Did you see that? Oh, Tesla's really? And came really? out and said, don't know what you're talking about, BYD. <laughs>
3: we don't have any agreement. Oh, interesting. Interesting so they they basically
0: they debunked it yeah i don't know i saw that on twitter somewhere so it's possible i just
1: saw some fake tweet about that but my understanding was that whatever the comment from that byd ceo or executive uh tesla china came out and said we're not aware of any plans
3: to buy um ev or batteries from from byd interesting i mean it did kind of strike me as strange especially um Tesla's building the cathode plant down there in Austin. And, uh, I mean, it seems like they're making some significant headway on battery production themselves. And um, I I just, me personally, I just see that increasing. They'll be scaling their battery production like crazy over the the next few years.
0: Oh, I just got a link here. Thank you.
2: Godav. I think it's important to just go back and remember, we're talking about uh tesla thinks that we need terawatt hours a year worth of battery production in 2030 Um, and we're so far from that there is so much supply that's needed and i think there's more than enough room for byd to be a huge there could be players that are even larger in battery production than tesla and that still would not necessarily have any negative impact on Tesla's ability to achieve the goals that they've set for themselves. Like the world needs that many batteries. And um, so, yeah, I don't see that as a competitive threat at all to Tesla or EV adoption or the world's transition to sustainable energy. I think those are net tailwinds, Um, but it really is a competitive threat to GM, uh, to Ford, to Volkswagen, these companies, I think, you know, if I was Herbert Deese, this would make me pee my pants.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think I think this is much a much bigger deal to everyone else than Tesla. Tesla. I think, to grow I think I think Elon would
3: would think of it as positive. It's yeah. expediting going clean.
0: Hundred percent agreed. Do you think um, Do you think Tesla would need to start advertising if Elon died tomorrow? No, they've got
1: a pipeline like you don't need to start advertising until you work through your pipeline and you don't have enough orders Uh, at the point where that's true you can either lower price or start advertising or some combination of both
3: yeah and even when gm throws super bowl ads out there (laughs) tesla benefits from it so mary that's a good thing
2: yeah (laughs) Yeah. You know, Dave Lee talks a lot about how if you've got a product that is 10 times better than anything else in the market, then that allows you to do so many things that competitors can't do. And this is one of those things. That's why we've seen them not need to advertise because the more Tesla's Tesla sells, the more Tesla's Tesla sells. Uh, And I don't think that's going to change. Whether Elon passes away or not, the product is the compelling thing that is creating the demand, not necessarily Elon's personality. And, yeah, he's a great marketer, um, but butts and seats is the ultimate demand driver. And gas prices right now, too.
3: I agree. And, I mean, there's enough, there's enough people out there. Why, why would Tesla spend money when he's got all these free people that are so passionate about Tesla? Doing all the marketing for them.
0: Yep. Let's do a couple more. Uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on a Model C or compact versus a dedicated RoboTaxi taxi for developing countries. Would it make more sense uh, to produce RoboTaxis taxis over compact? This one's this one's interesting because this one is is one I've mm-hmm. been given a lot of thought to. And uh, Matt, I think we talked about this on the Good Soil stream. I can't remember exactly where we talked about this, but um, if it was on the Good Soil stream or somewhere else, but uh, my concern is that if Robotaxi were to launch in, say, the United States, places like South America, Africa, a lot of parts of Asia, Europe, them being like super strict around regulation. Robotaxi might take a, a few years, if not a decade, to potentially be a viable option in those situations, and I just don't. And 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 the lower and the lower price EV uh, market right now is non-existent because of inflation, and everyone's freaking making SUVs and pickup trucks, right? So there's like a wide open market for EV to get for Tesla to get into into a cheaper non-robotaxi car that is smaller in size. Uh, so, in in my opinion, I think, and Dave Lee has alluded to this in the past, and this he's kind of the one that's put this in this sort of seed in my brain, is like those robotaxi and compact car are two separate projects designed for two different markets. Um, so I think they will both happen in conjunction, exactly because of that sort of thought process. Developing countries usually don't have the infrastructure for RoboTaxi to be realistic. Cause it literally like sometimes they don't even have roads, like the way we would have roads. So, or, or like traffic lights or anything like that. It's all kind of like a
2: mm-hmm.
0: free for all. So what do you guys think about that? That's that's how I think about that. But curious to hear your thoughts.
2: I 100% agree. Uh, you know, I've spent some time in Bangladesh. I've lived in Africa. Um, there's a lot of places where RoboTaxi is not anywhere. <laughs> even close to being viable. And, um, but yeah, we still need to transition the world to sustainable transportation. And that includes those places where robo taxis, you know, a long ways away. So I think you're hit the nail right on the head.
3: Yeah, I agree.
0: Matt, any thoughts?
1: No, I mean, I, I agree. It does seem that from Elon's focus, if you've been tra- tracking how that's changed, it seems like he's much more interested in solving taxi than, you know, say a Model C or whatever the compact one's going to be called. Um, but I think you can, part of that's just demand. Like, you know, they were they had the $35,000 Model 3 for a while, and now the lowest, like, entry point Model 3 is $48,000. So it's like 48490 I think, actually. It's like, so, um, like... I think the the thinking a couple of years ago was that they would need to go significantly downstream in price in order to get market share but what they've seen and said is just that the product is so good and demand is i think a lot higher than even tesla was expecting so um now the 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 goal is just to achieve oh it's 47 okay um so now the, the goal is just to you know scale production as quick as possible but i think um the way that if, if I'm imagine, or trying to understand how Elon's likely thinking about it, he not only wants to get the most vehicles out there, but from like a first principle standpoint, you want to offset as many ICE miles driven as quickly as possible. And the most efficient way to do that is to scale RoboTaxi as quickly as possible, which is going to have a much higher utilization rate. So the same vehicle... Um, that you sell, which may have like a five percent utilization rate for somebody driving like a normal, you know, amount each year, instead can have a say fifty percent utilization rate as a robo taxi, and there's probably some amount of carpooling that's happening with it at the same time. So you, you think about how many ice miles you're eliminating with that one vehicle; it's like a game changer, and all of a sudden that's way more important for Tesla's mission than uh, going downstream and, and selling a few more, you know, sub which they'll need to do eventually, no doubt about that. But to me, it's like the one goal is way more attractive from a a purpose, from a mission standpoint, but also from a financial return uh, perspective. It seems like that's the goal.
0: Last question. Are you surprised with the 50D batteries on the new Tesla Model Y from Austin? Did you guys see this by any chance? Is that true?
2: It's ridiculous.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I think Omar
2: Rob was definitely skeptical on that. that. Something's not lining up. Either their efficiency models that they published are not accurate and being sandbagged or, yeah, there's there's fishy stuff with the numbers. I think that's, uh, let's wait and see.
1: Yeah. If it was like 65, I'd be like, wow, that's awesome. But 50, it's like, that's probably too good to be true.
0: There was a, uh, let me pull up the. Let me pull up the uh, screenshot from whole Mars Mars blogs. Um, Where is it? He had it before. Okay, here we go. App hints, here, I'll share my screen. So there was this picture of the app. Oh my God, terrible UI, what's going on here? Okay, there we go. So the gentleman had his app up and it had 50D right, right below the name. So 50d mm-hmm. the miles the vin so I mean that that would insinuate that there's some sort of uh it, I mean that would be a giant, and it's what a, a hundred or 200 pounds lighter than the Fremont made uh, model Y so it's it's about 150 200 pounds louder uh, lighter and it's packing a significantly smaller battery pack so um yeah I, I I agree with you guys I think there's there's more data to be seen here I think I think we really won't know until Sandy Monroe gets in that sucker <laughs> and, and, and tears her apart, you know, uh, um, I
2: don't think it's impossible. I think that, you know, it could be that everything is just software limited and they are, you know, publishing the efficiency numbers just to keep from Osborneing their current cars. Um, so this could definitely be a software unlock over time that you get a whole bunch of extra range. Um, or if they're if the pack is bigger than 50d or it could be that that really is a 50d pack um so i mean this is a very interesting thing to watch um and it's it's definitely definitely possible because yeah like the numbers just don't add up so we got to figure out which way the fudging is going
0: yeah there was a comment out here they, the, for the for the uh, compact model they be- better call it the uh, compact with a q yeah. I've always liked the
1: Tesla Q
0: as the next version, yeah, the version <laughs> cool. funded by the short sellers. Tesla Q, I love it. All right, um, we're over two hours, two hours five minutes and twenty five seconds, according to the timer. Record stream, I believe. Um, so, especially for the community forum, uh, thank you guys very much for joining, uh, watching this uh, this uh, cool little thing that we've started here. Um, if you'd like to be part of the discussions, we uh, we right now we have it so that the, our patreons and our folks that join the. Uh, community through YouTube, um, essentially have the ability for us to sit down on Fridays and have discussions uh, with y'all. And so if you if you'd like to be part of the panel, uh, definitely consider it. Uh, But at the very least, we'll have the comments section if you'd like to ask questions and have the panel uh, answer the questions and just be part of the conversation. So thank you, Hans. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Matt, uh, for being part of the conversation. And uh, any last words before we we, uh, leave for today?
1: Uh,
0: thank really you nervous, as always thank you yeah oh yeah matt went like this last words <laughs> last words here we go last words Out. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys very much uh i'll be away next week but i'll be back the following week so this will resume in two weeks time uh but until then thank you all very much and have an amazing day we'll see you around take it easy guys
2: travel right safe